Hello and welcome back to yet another edition of the Aston Villa Holtcast. As usual, I'm James Rushton, joined by Danny Raza. Last time out, we actually recorded a podcast with Cole Petham of Talk Aston Villa. Um, that was summing up the Villa versus Middlesbrough victory, which is a massive resounding victory that now puts Villa in a playoff place, mate. Danny, how are you doing after that? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, great to great to be with you again, James. Uh, second of all, I, I, I'm just very much uh surprised i guess oh i'd say yeah i'm I'm pretty surprised i'm pretty surprised that we've gone on a on a run of four <laughs> games four or four four wins on the bounce especially considering the kind of form we were in january um i'm very happy with the team with the way the team is playing you know i've i i on record have said uh in i mean i'd say about a month ago that we're categorically not going to make the playoffs uh <laughs> and i'm almost eating my words here but well, I'm, I'm happy you are man um last time out we actually said like there is a small possibility we could be in this position. So you heard it on the whole cast first. Villa have made the playoffs. Well, they haven't made the playoffs. They're in the playoff position, sixth place. They've got to hold <laughs> that off from... <laughs> <laughs> Old prediction. Um, we've got to hold that off from Bristol City, Derby, and a host of other teams. But right now, we're in the hunt. And we've already discussed the Middlesbrough match at length with Cole Petham. So if you want to hear more discussion on that, please go and listen to that episode today. It's more of a general chat. We've got a number of key topics you want to talk about. First being Aston Villa's men's team. Uh, we've got to give our match balls away, mate. We haven't spoke about Forrest or Borough yet, me and you. And we are doing this match balls feature. We need to pick our men of the match, um, three candidates each game who we think performed the best or was most surprising or had that key moment. I want your your two, one each from Forrest and Borough. Right, okay. So thinking back to Forrest, obviously it was a... Was a was it was a good game, wasn't it? So um, I'd I'd probably with the Forest game. I think there's only one man really, isn't there? That you can <laughs> you can pick out straight away, isn't there? Saw this coming. It's John McGinn. It's got to be John McGinn. You know, I, I I I was I was just super happy to see him. I, you know what? That rest in that first half of um, what, what what game was it that we played? Whedon was it? Was it Birmingham? Yeah, Birmingham. It, yeah, it was Birmingham, wasn't it, right? That rest seemed to have done John McGinn a world of good. He's almost come back just firing on all cylinders. And, you know, the sort of energy that he's that he's given from midfield and just the way that he's terrorizing teams now. Uh, you know, one 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 thing that's been interesting about 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 McGinn as well is that ever since Jack Grealish has come back, uh he he seemed to have kind of freed up more space for McGinn to move around. Um and yeah, it's it's gotta be him against against uh, Nottingham Forest, surely. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll agree. Um, Nottingham Forest, I think my man, Courtney House, he's come a long way. He's looking really good. And got a goal. He got off the uh, he got off the mark for Villa. And what more? That chant is amazing that they've made up. Our house in the middle of defence. Our house that is fantastic. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing it, mate. But um, oh, it was brilliant. it was incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you saw John McGinn actually singing it to himself eating breakfast the next day. Which is a re- <laughs> it's a really nice moment. That was on his Instagram. But my man of the match for Forrest is going to be Courtney House. And um, we need to come together for one against Forrest. Um, who's your candidate for the third award? Uh, I'm always I'm always tempted to just go for Grealish. <laughs> <laughs> just, because, just because of the effect that he's clearly continued to have on us. Uh, you know, w- one thing you have to say about the Forest game is that this was a total departure from the sort of attitude that the team have had, uh, especially in 2019, where we, we may concede and then almost are chasing the game uh, for the rest of it. And we're just kind of 
waiting for something to something to happen, and we might nick it one one. But what happened in in this game and the total departure from from that is is that we 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 scored pretty much straight away. And I think part of that again is GG Jack Grealish's energy in midfield. He again was just that leader, that captain in the middle of the park. And I just thought that his effect uh, on the game, just again, you can see it. You know, we we, we drove forward, and, and within the next ten or fifteen minutes, mainly due to John McGinn, but also due to that that driving attitude from Jack Grealish, uh, we were back in front. I mean, well, we were in front for the first time, and I think, yeah, I, I have to attribute the third one to, to Jack Grealish. I can't um I can't disagree, man. Jack Grealish is gonna take that one for Forrest. So we've got Courtney House, John McGinn, and Jack Grealish as our as our top guys for the Nottingham Forest match. But Middlesbrough is a bit more of a harder one because Villa, we've already discussed the game, Villa ran the show. Um, not really many players at all put a foot wrong. I'm gonna pick a surprise man for this one for my choice for Borough. I'm gonna pick Neil Taylor. Because Neil Taylor's performed, yeah, he had a really good game and it's gone under the radar, but he helped, you know, if he wasn't on his on his game, Middlesbrough maybe would have been able to fashion more chances. He had a hell of a game. He showed um, a good touch of the football and he was attacking like uh, no one's business. He was getting up front and uh, helping overload that Borough box. So, you know, he, it's, I don't know, it's more of the whole, I guess. The whole team played well, but I'm picking Neil Taylor out because if he wasn't on form, I think Villa would have had a harder time. Um, definitely down that uh, that left wing. So their right-sided midfielder and their right-sided winger backs would have had more space. So Neil Taylor stands out for me as someone I'm definitely picking out. Um, I want to know who you're picking out. Well, you know, stats-wise, Neil Taylor um, made three tackles as well and uh, and also had a, had a, had a top-tier pass success, pass success percentage as well with 91%. Uh, he, he did really well in terms of helping uh, Anwar Okazi, who I would have been tempted to put on. But the thing is, there's this, this three guys, again, who are, you know you really want to be tempted to, to go for. I don't want to pick out another defender, James. To be quite honest, Middlesbrough didn't challenge us in that, in that regard. They stuck, their, they stuck everybody behind the ball. Uh, and that, that was that was clearly their plan from the from the off. Uh, so, without going too deep into sort of analysing it, uh, I want to go for. I don't I I, I don't want to do Anwar dirty like this, but I'm gonna go John McGinn. I think he's gonna be my first guy. Again, you have to. He's incredible. No, he's incredible. And uh, I think you, your picks there show, showcase how important he's been to, to come back to the side. He made the space in the Blues game for Grealish to succeed. And ever since then, it's looked like Villa aren't a one-man team anymore because he has stolen the show from Jack Grealish. He's absolutely come in and bust every single game he's been involved in this week, which is uh, marvellous. His goal was beautiful as well. His goal was beautiful. Yes. It was almost like it was it was expertly just kind of placed in the right area for him to just drive into. Yeah, he, he ran he, into it. Yeah, he. You see him at the bottom of the screen, and I mentioned this to Cole. You see him drive in and slam that shot home, and he's, you know, he's got a one-track mind. You just see him. He's not changing path, mate. Mate, you couldn't even emulate that on Rocket League. <laughs> it was that kind of a strike. It was great. It was fantastic, and no, he deserves that spot, man. We got to come together for one, and I think there is a bloke I want to put up for it, and that's Glenn Whelan, who did not put a foot wrong that whole game. No, he didn't. And I think there's a lot to be said because because that Middlesbrough midfield could have been a tough one. I mean, you, you know, you look at you look at Johnny Housen as well, who also started. I know he played a little bit further up, but he is, I'd say, by definition, a midfielder, as is Wing as well. 
by definition. Um, so, you know, there, there's a little bit of overloading going on there. You know, you've got John Obi McCall and, and, and Savile in that midfield too. And yeah, Glenn Whelan did a really good job to boss it. And he did, he had a very important job as well because the only way that Middlesbrough were ever going to come forward was, was, was on the counter. Uh, and yeah. I think he did a really good job of clearing clearing it up whenever they did uh, try to move forward. But I, I think, again, as you say, just at 35 years old, you know, absolute engine in the midfield. Uh, not necessarily for his tackling. Yeah, he's the same age as most people watching, I reckon. A few fair few people were looking at Glenn Whelan with a bit of jealousy, how he's uh, mopping up balls and spraying out passes from the back and uh, in the middle of defence. At age 35, and I hope, you know, Villa are probably going to move away from him and it will be on... Uh, It'll be on sad terms, to be honest, uh, after a hell of the season he's had. What but needs what, must, I? What, what do you think's happened that's, that's got him performing so well all of a sudden? Because, I come on, particularly at the start of the season, there's a lot of criticism. I mean, I, I didn't want to see him starting for a lot of the games because of the fact that we were under so much pressure and I felt that he was one of the players who perhaps wasn't coping with it as well. I mean, he, he, he did eventually. But what, what, what do you think's sort of come... You know, what's brought his form to the forefront all of a sudden? I think it's easier for him to make simple passes because he's got players around him who want to get the ball off and carry it, like mainly Grealish, um, even Hurahan and McGinn just want to surge forward. So a lot isn't expected of him. I think he's come under a lot less pressure now because I think other, other teams, they're focusing on Grealish and McGinn. So there's a lot less pressure on Glenn Whelan from the other team. And I think it may be that simple. Like he has a lot more time on the ball and can actually think and telegraph his moves. He doesn't have to react. He can kind of plan the game out from the back. He's sitting a lot deeper than he was previously. And he's this quite contradicts what I've just said. He sits deeper, but when we, we put the ball and we're transitioning, he's almost one of the f- first men forward sometimes. So he's getting a lot more space and room on the ball. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, doing, he's doing a good job over there. And I, I think... With with Whelan as well is you know we, we've got to be playing the ball along the ground you know for for him to be effective you know we can't we can't be we can't be constantly under attack I think that does definitely help him it, it helps him when we are on the front foot and he can spray the ball about a bit yeah uh, and I think yeah I think a lot of that is due to the fact that we have two midfielders in front of him who are very good on the ball uh, in terms of Jack Grealish and John McGinn who almost never get tackled but what about what about um. You know, before we move on from it as well, I just I, w- I want to know your thoughts as well on Andre Green because he is one of the players who perhaps hasn't shined so much in the last couple of weeks. Are you at all worried about it? Because I have seen a couple of tweets from fans who are slightly frustrated about him. Uh, yeah, I think he he's coming for criticism. He's obviously playing on his uh, weaker side, so he's on the right now instead of the left, and that is to kind of cater for Amor Al Ghazi. I'm not sure why it's not the other way around. I think I see Al Ghazi as the more senior player. He should be able to adapt. No idea what's happening there, but Andre Green's on the right. And he does look very uncomfortable, but that's not to say he had a bad game. He did come in for criticism, and I think it was deserved. But at the end of the day, his game was probably a 6 out of 10 at worst, to be honest. Um, He got off a a few key dribbles. He managed to run around and uh, create some havoc for Middlesbrough, but it's not looking as good as he does on the other side. And I think that's what's affecting his performance. He's on his weaker side and he needs to learn how to play there because Anwar Al-Ghazi seems to have that left spot locked down. True. Yeah, okay. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, Shall we move on to a key point that we need to discuss? Because it's right right now it's the international break, right? And Villa Mm. have won four games in a row. Next up is Blackburn. We'll preview out 
that on uh, the weekend podcast. So we have the international break. The question is, is that good in terms of giving Villa a rest or is it bad that it's snapping our momentum in half? Uh, that's a, that's I, I guess that's a question. It's always, it always comes back around, doesn't it? I don't think I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Look, I, Jack, Jack Grealish and, and John McGinn have probably been running their socks off. I mean, McGinn's McGinn's going to be out on international break anyway, and I think it's a, it's a chance for it's a chance for for players like that to perhaps you know build a bit of momentum because scoring goals on international breaks, for example, are, is 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 big for you as a player. Uh, you come back and you, you'll be a lot better for it. Um, but, you know, but on the, on the other hand, I don't think a rest is, is is awful for for a lot of those boys. You know, we've almost we've almost had to welcome Jack Grealish back into that team and return to you know our most our most comfortable system uh, almost you know at the snap of a finger. And I think you know perhaps Dean Smith can can work on it a little bit in in the next couple of weeks. I don't I don't think it's necessarily a a bad thing. Uh, and it has been, if you think about it, it's been a very intense month or so for Villa, hasn't it? Uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw all the negativity on it, uh, you know, just because of this international break happening. It comes at probably the worst and best time for Villa. If you think about it in terms of momentum, Villa have to kind of keep the hot hand ready for the Blackburn match, but also it's giving players a break, a much needed break. You know, Tammy Abraham come off with a fatigue injury and while well, Ghazi come off with a fatigue injury against Borough. Now they get a break and I think that's going to affect Abraham's chances of linking up with the England under 21s. But so be it. I mean, um, he's a Villa player at the moment. Sometimes these international games, especially when they're not in the, heading up to a major tournament. I mean, there's um, still a, still a few matches to come towards the end of the season and after the end of the season for him to impress there. This is a key time for Villa. So if he can rest up and get fit, ready for our final running of games, that's really important to us. So maybe the break is probably the best thing for us. And maybe it's more it's better that we sink that cost of momentum and rubbish that just so we have a break. I think that's probably the more key thing, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, don't, I don't think it's the worst thing. Uh, in the world, uh, and, I, and I, again, I'm going to mention the key guy again, Jack Grealish. He's been back for a month, but he's he's almost had to be rushed in all of a sudden. You clearly couldn't play the the full ninety minutes at Birmingham, you know, the other week. You know, he's he's, he's clearly still got a little bit of that niggle in him. I'm not saying I'm not saying it, it really is still there, but you know, he's still got a little bit of that niggle in him, probably. Uh, and and I think you know, a couple of weeks of of pure fitness training, uh, you know, having played some football could really do him some good. Uh, and and you know we by the looks of things, if we're to aim to finish in the playoffs this season, we're going to need him. Uh, so I'm I'm listen. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get upset about a rest for the lads. And besides, uh, when we do come back, Blackburn, uh, you know, tough side I guess, but you know, not not the worst team we could be facing on return. Final bit of Villa news then that we wanted to speak about before we go into some other topics. So mm-hmm. we're going to go into Aston Villa ladies and some other stuff. Jordan Lydon has uh, announced that he'll be leaving Aston Villa. Of course, he's been there throughout his career to the club that he graduated from as a youth graduate. Um, he's had bad luck with injuries. He had a spell at Oldham. He was pulled back to maybe play a role in the first team this uh, this January. And he, he succumbed to another injury. And he hasn't appeared for Villa in a very long time. Um, his position has never been locked down. So he started off kind of as more attacking midfielder, sometimes on the wing, scoring goals from the wing for the under-23s and under-18 setup. 
And Villa deployed him as a right back in a Remy Guard season, that tragic, tragic mm. season when we got relegated. We haven't seen much of him since then. He he made it he made it through the Villa setup almost at that at that absolute worst period that that he could have done. You know, there was there was there was a time where, you know, if you are a young player, forget about it because the because the first team was playing so badly that they almost couldn't afford to play to to stop picking any of uh, of their top stars. So <sighs> th- 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 there was a bit of that with Jordan Lydon. Uh I think. He could have been our our next decent utility player, but he never really shined. He's always looked decent though, and he always thought there was potential with him. But you know, he's he's twenty three now, uh, and I, I think I think at that point, Villa uh, they they can't do much with him at this point unless he's going into the first team. They can't have him hanging around the reserves. So I think. For now, it would be really nice to see him perhaps move on somewhere and play perhaps in the A-League, you know, get get his career going again. But I, I do feel really bad for him because, listen, utility players are, are, are great. You know, especially if you're a, especially if you're a manager that's um, that, that that's, that's taking charge of a team that's perhaps getting uh, bad luck with injuries, for example, because he can play in defensive midfield, he can play at right back, he can play at left back. And uh, those sorts of players are few, few and far between. Yeah, I think uh, he didn't lock down his position. He got injured at the wrong time and a lot of bad luck has followed him. Um, I think it's a real shame because he he's a hard worker and knows uh, harder to find than people with uh, the right technical abilities. So he's, you know, his work rate was admirable. Um, his decision-making, again, admirable. I think it's, um, it's a real shame, to be honest, but these things do happen. Not every youth graduate is going to make it and Jordan Lydon did make it. He got he broke through into the Aston Villa first team, and then that was followed by a horrendous amount of bad luck. It's like Gary Gardner. You break into the first team, and then suddenly, it's there's nothing. There's nothing for you, which is that it's a real shame. But it's part and parcel. And if there's loads of players who aren't going to make it, there's just going to be more players who do make it and then don't kick on. Yeah, let me just let me just say again, mate. Fourteen years, fourteen years he's been at Villa, so it's a real shame that it's had to end. You know, not on his terms like that uh but you know we, we i think villa tried you know sending him out sending him out on loan to oldham it's a positive step uh injuries you know that's it's 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 scary isn't it for a young footballer it's scary for anybody who's uh who's trying to push through their career at that age uh let's just hope it's not a career ending one uh, and and, and I, I i really do wish jordan Lydon the best of luck because there there's a very talented player there there is a very talented player there what level I'm not sure yet, and I think the mystery is still going to remain. But uh, if he finds himself a decent club, you know, I'd, I'd love to see him back in the Championship or, or even the Premier League one day. Yeah, well, fingers crossed um, that he can make it. It's uh, always good to see Aston Villa players, even if they don't make it at the club, that they can carve out a living in the Football League because, you know, spread those branches wide. One we're, one we're looking at is Samir Carruthers, who's obviously had a decent career under the championship and uh, within the football league, there's been plenty more like that. Daniel Johnson and Callum Robinson um, were passed on, and now they're starting for uh, Preston. It's, so these these things do happen. You're forgetting you're forgetting you know one one of the one of the most forgotten players uh, in in Villa's sort of uh, reserve history. Jonathan Hogg. Look at him now, right now. He's he's <laughs> he is, listen. He's acing it. No, he's yeah, doing yeah, so well, isn't he? Uh, and and he well, when he when he left, there was almost not a word said. At all, and uh, of course, Gary Gardner's doing all right for Blues. Um, there's uh, who's the other one? 
who was the other one I was thinking of? Barry Bannon. So all these players who've come through at the same time probably could have gave us a decent platform to kick on from, but we uh we did move on from them and uh, we haven't really looked back. But I think there is a case to be made that these academy players are more than capable. No, not starring like Jack Grealish or McGinn, but giving you a platform so you don't need to spend wild money on average players because you've got average players backing you up in the academy. Why not? Yeah, yeah, right? precisely, precisely. One team actually using younger players is Aston Villa Ladies, who uh, they have an average age, mate, of 21. Unfortunately, they got knocked out the FA Cup at the quarterfinals by West Ham, thanks to a Jane and Ross goal. Nadine Hansen came quite close for Villa, who fought to the end, but they didn't make it. And that is a part-time team, Villa, losing to a full-time team, West Ham, not the first time this season. So the case there to be made today by us as part of a topic on this podcast is Villa ladies need to be funded fully. Oh, surely yeah. because they're, they're giving fights to these full-time teams of waged players. And I'm not sure the situation with Villa ladies and their funding. There was a lot made about the fantastic, the fantastic signing of Jody Hutton to a professional contract. And I'm not sure what that includes. Is that a waged contract? Because they've made a big deal of it. And Jody Hutton, of course, is a fantastic young English footballer with a long way to go, but she's been signed to a, quote-unquote professional contract i'm not sure what it includes but congratulations to her for making the grade at aston villa now what i want to know is a villa gonna go the whole hog are they gonna back this team because this team has not only quote-unquote earned their backing they should have the backing by default but now it seems like they deserve it mate they deserve to be funded they deserve to have kits and i don't mean one or two kits like they have or a change top i want them to be funded almost like we fund our youth teams because we need to back this club because they're the, the support is gathering they're dragging 600 bodies down to Boldmere, which is no you know that's no small amount and um i really think with funding this club can make the grade they can really can make the grade and show them what they're made of oh yeah now listen look this 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 team as well is just so fun to follow i think you know they have such a good relationship with the fans as well you know they 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 they're big on Twitter as well, aren't they? A lot a lot of the a lot of these players, their fan interaction yes. is is brilliant, and it's just great to great to hear from them after every game. You know, especially because this 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 season as well, I think it, it got off to to quite um, you know, it, I mean this in twenty nineteen basically been very good. It's been very good for them. Um, I, I believe yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they were unbeaten until the FA Cup quarterfinal. I think it may be true. I'm not going to stick my neck out there, but they did start the season off getting Kane 12 or so nil um, by Manchester United in a, a match they were ridiculed for. And that was that was really unfair because this Manchester United team, right, they jumped in to the level because they had the money to buy into the league. Mm. And their players are full-time, so they get training every day. Their team is waged, so these players are getting paid to play football so they can concentrate more. They don't have to worry about, you know, putting bread in their hands. Um, but these Villa players, mate, that's a worry for them. They have they have real jobs. You know, they have to skip out. They can't always attend training or, ma- or matches. They have to make a lot of sacrifices. And look, there's the argument to me be made that that bonds the club and that's why they're fighting so hard. But my God, I think money needs to back this team. And it's not a lot of money. You're talking 15, 20 grand a player for the, for the year, like a normal human being to be paid to play football. Um, they're using the Villa badge. They're playing for Aston Villa in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. And that's all that's going for them. That's all they've got going for them is the, the fact they get to play for Villa. And I think that's quite embarrassing that, you know, the club is relying on its reputation to attract these players because you could go Manchester United, get paid. You could probably go to Birmingham City and get paid. Birmingham City got a really decent women's team. They have a very good women's and team. Plenty, yeah, 
you could go there and get paid. So why play for Villa? There's no point to play for Aston Villa because you could go there, prove yourself, move on and get a wage. And I think that's what plenty of players will end up doing if Villa don't lock some of these that, these girls down um, to a decent, decent wage. And it's just so simple. No one's asking for 340 grand a week. No one's asking for that. We're asking for people to be paid to play for this football club because they deserve it. Their, their ability will improve. They'll be able to be trained full time. You know, I don't know the coaching situation, but they'll be able to attract better coaches and fund the ones that are there spending their spare time at Aston Villa. Make it feel good. This is a feel good place. You know, Villa Ladies is a feel good place. There's no moping, there's no moaning. The players get on with it. And the only reason they do is because of the Villa badge. That's it. Yeah, look, absolutely. And uh, they, 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 are, they are a very talented bunch. You know, Jody Hutton's obviously scored a hat trick <laughs> already this season. And, you know, that was that was so fun to follow. Uh, you've got um, you've got the likes of Nadine Hansen as well, who have been brought over from Holland. Uh, it's, you know, they, 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 there is statements of intent being made by Villa. I, I do think, well, you know, no, nobody can predict the future, but I, I would like to think that, you know, the, the kind of, I mean, especially the performances that, that, that Villa are pulling out right now. Uh, I, w- I would like to think that that is a statement of intent to to say, look, you know, we are here, and we are we are here to challenge. And I I would love to see. And you know what? Especially in this age now, where football is so much more accessible. You know, the women's Super League, for example, is being shown on television. You know, fans will want it. You know, there is an entire fan base who you know really want to see Villa have a have a top tier lady side. And you know, we, the, the the other great thing about that is, uh, you know, you know, you look at some of the best setups, um, in, yes. in, in the country, and uh, they do amazing deals in terms of tickets where you can kind of head down to the game and and and, and watch watch the team play and have a drink. And I, I just think that I think there is a culture there that that needs to be curated. And I think that. You know, with the with the with the kind of fan base they're starting to build, especially on social media, I think the Villa ladies could really do with uh, with increased support in, in the coming season, and I, and, I, and I would like to think it's going to happen. Uh, I, I'd certainly be excited for it. You could show your support for Villa ladies, of course, by watching the matches that are quite constantly on AVTV, Villa's YouTube. Um, you can also, the tickets are cheap. You can get season tickets for quite, quite cheap if you're in a local area. It's in, they're playing Boldmere. Of course, just raving about them on Twitter because these girls need support and they need backing, financial backing that needs to come from Aston Villa because, you know, again, all they're playing for is a badge in their chest and there's no, there's no higher honour than that, right? But it'd be so easy to just drop it in, go play for Birmingham, who might pay their players, or even Manchester United. There are teams that pay their players and they're going to do better than Villa in the long run because Villa are punching above their weight right now and they're going to struggle without funding. Um, it's going to be really, really tough for them. Um, so, you know, all credit to them for fighting because they're showing a hell of a lot of talent and a hell of a lot of fight. So I'm really pleased with the Jody Hutton news. I hope that it continues and I hope that all players can be paid and I hope that Jodie Hutton is getting paid a fair whack because she's a hell of a talent. And moving on to the final topic of today, Danny, it's a bit of a somber one. Um, so everyone knows what happened across the uh, the weekend. It was on Friday, Friday morning. The news broke to us as that uh, someone had went and actually grabbed an automatic rifle among other tools and enacted a campaign of hate, unfortunately, in New Zealand. And it racked up quite a body count, quite a horrific toll um, of innocent people who were killed. It has its roots in things we see every day. Islamophobia, of course, is something that exists in football and Look, 
there's only one or two people that enacted these horrible things. But we see quite a lot of it when we're involved in football media. And unfortunately, a lot of it, it might not be vocalised by Villa fans, but there's plenty of it. There's plenty of it in the Villa fan base. All we need to see um, is when the Villa Twitter quite innocently um, offers, it's, you know, offers support for Ramadan, uh, Eid Mubarak, Eid al-Fitr, any Muslim celebration, any Islamic celebration that is celebrated by Muslims across the world, um, usually it brings in negative comments, and that is Islamophobia, whether you like it or not, whether you disagree or not. So we see this stuff more and more, and it has its bloody roots, as we saw on Friday, mate. It has uh, awful conclusions, and I just wanted to speak to you about this because this happens in football, right? This This is stuff you see every day, surely. So I'd say that, you know, the the thing to remember is that, you know, as 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 a Muslim, you might not necessarily. I'm I'm Muslim, by the way. I, I should you know point that out. Um, you might not necessarily see it every day in your face, kind of thing, but you almost become desensitized to the amount of it that you'd see on social media. There clearly is a very vocal uh, group within within the football community uh, that uh, that are sort of who do basically spread hatred even if they don't realize they're doing it i'm i'm always I, I i always like to be understanding of the fact that some people perhaps are in um what's the what's the word are more unaware than intolerant because you know in, in many sort of communities you know without without kind of <laughs> without doing a massive analysation on racism in in many areas you know that there isn't a lot of Muslims around and so people only only see what they hear and and, and all this kind of stuff but I'd, I'd say that you know in the football community it definitely does exist and you have to remember that you know it's only in the past sort of couple of decades or so perhaps that that, that people people of colour um, have felt perhaps comfortable to go to football games you know there, there was there was a long time before that where um where, where, where people wouldn't have been comfortable going to games like that. Uh, and it is all to do with this sort of culture, which does exist amongst some people that the average football man should be a straight white male. Uh, and, and it's almost that sort of ganging up, uh, I guess, which, which, which ends up causing uh, a, a lot of this hate to spread online, especially on football Twitter. Um, but I said, to come back on your question, James, I think, I think it all does depend on on the individual person, but I, I would definitely say that you know holding silences and um, holding tributes are a good way to to make a statement uh, and and definitely educate people. Well, talking on the silence, I don't. Unfortunately, that did not happen at Aston Villa or to my record, many football games this weekend. And you brought up pre-show in our preamble. This happened at the Six Nations, and it didn't happen in football. And look. Football is something that has this connection with death. We all pay silences or respect or applause for any, you know, with respect, I'm saying this, any Tom, Dick and Harry who dies supporting their football club. We pay that respect that they deserve um, for following their football club as part of the football club. And we're not actually recollecting. We we can spend lots of time recollecting the war. You know, we have our, our minute silence for everyone who bravely fought in the, in all wars for Britain. And that's why we wear the poppy. But when it comes to recollecting or remembering or honoring or just meditating on the fact that over 50 um, Muslim worshippers were shot dead, we don't seem to have that time or patience. And I think that's a real shame because football's worldwide, Aston Villa are worldwide. God forbid, you know, a, a Villa supporter probably died, you know, 
on Friday. You don't know. There was a footballer who died, a futsal player who died. Football is a global sport and we're all connected in this. And it's a shame that we can't spend 30 seconds remembering that. Yeah, uh, I think, um, you know, before before perhaps sort of uh, unloading whether or not there the should have been a silence at you know, in in the league games over the weekend, um, I, I think it is worth saying that there was a statement from the FA saying that they will uh, pay tribute to the victims of the tragedy uh, in the England versus Czech Republic match on Friday. Uh, so that is worth saying that. Um, and yeah, I just think that, like, I, I I understand. I don't I don't want to I don't want to perhaps you know take any sides here or anything like that. But I I understand the the viewpoint that some people have that when we held the silence for Paris it was because France is a lot closer by um and and, and therefore uh perhaps it's more of an uh, what happened there was perhaps more of an immediate sort of uh threat or perhaps more of a uh something yeah. that would that would have a a longer standing perhaps effect on on the wider sort of british community I understand that because all of this was was all the way over in New Zealand, but 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 equally so, James. In 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 many ways, New Zealand is considered part of the Western world, uh, and also the 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 problem or the issues that that sort of led to the sort of extremism that existed in New Zealand, or that existed within the the, the mind of that shooter, are uh, you know similar sort of issues which um which can lead to extremism in America and in the UK, there is far-right extremism. You know, it exists and there is a culture of Islamophobia which exists in certain communities across the UK and across the rest of the Western world. And because of that, it is, a, it is an issue which, which, which does affect the UK. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is, it is important. Um, and and when, when you talk about close to home, I think... You know all of these tensions which do exist in the UK. It comes up all the time. There's 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 tensions on on race. There's tensions on religion, extremism. I I just think that perhaps perhaps uh, I I I, th- I think I think that holding silences um, perhaps would have been a good idea uh, over over the weekend. And I I. I I would like to understand perhaps from, you know, most of the clubs, the clubs who decided not to do it. I would, I would like to understand from their point of view, why they decided not to take that action. That's, that's where, what I'd like to, to ask personally. That's it. So to wrap this, this topic up, I think it's worth saying that anytime positive action from a football club or within the fan base, is actioned like the LGBTQ plus flag that was demonstrated by Project B6 um, to honour the club's um, LGBTQ plus fan base. Um, it was met with a hostile reaction. Where's the straight flag? Where's the straight flag? Where's the, the flag for this? Where's the flag for that? And it's just like any positive action is almost met with a horrible, horrible reinforcement. You know, the poppy flag wasn't met with that response. And the poppy flag, look, let's be honest, it can be quite divisive. I'm not on that line, but it can be quite divisive. Whereas the LGBTQ flag is a, it's a positive flag. There is no negative way to take that. And it's met with a hostile resistance. It is met with hostile comments. And I don't, I'm not sure whether Project B6 actually actioned that flag in the end. But the general point, mate, I'm saying is 
the only way we can solve these issues is to respond with direct action. When we see Islamophobia, we need to call it out. It can't stand. It can't stand because it revol- it, the end game of Islamophobia is people dying, whether it's a stupid joke that's made, whether it's offensive racism, whether it's violence. The end game of it is that someone somewhere ends up dying as, re- as a result of it. Well, this is the thing. When, when you spread hatred over something that you don't fully understand, right, that could be going out to anybody and it compounds in people's minds, right? And, and all of a sudden, this, this massive lie grows into people's heads and that's where, you know, that's where extremism is, is born. All I'm saying to the football community is, look, when, when you see something that's criticising or, or, or telling you that a certain group of people are like this, oh, the Muslims are like that, you know, black people are like this, look at it first of all and try to understand it from the other person's point of view. Don't go ahead and start spreading stuff just because uh, just because you see it and just because you think it's going to get you likes. I think that kind of a culture exists way too much. People want to be divisive for retweets and for likes. And I just think that's that's awful. If you see a club come out and try to hold positive action, you know, um, perhaps for the, for, for the gay community, the LGBT community, LGBT plus community even, um, or the Islamic community or the Jewish community, think before you comment. And perhaps if it doesn't affect you, or you don't quite understand why the club has gone ahead and made this decision, don't comment because you probably don't fully understand it. So I hate to be harsh about it, James, but I just think that you know it's it's it, it's awful seeing that kind of a um, that that kind of a culture compound. Well, yeah, let's end this, man, because it's a bit of a negative thing to talk about. Um, I'm pleased to say that it doesn't seem to be a widespread thing in the Villa fan base, and it's only a minority few. But it only takes one person to do something stupid and people end up getting hurt. So just think about what you say, think about what you do, because there's other ends, there's other, there's people on the other end of the comments you're saying and the actions you're doing. Mate, Villa in the playoff positions, it's all positive. Let's just make it all positive. We want every aspect of this fan base to be positive. We want Villa ladies to be positive and we want our Islamic supporters to be happy, safe and welcomed by the Aston Villa fan base. And I hope, I hope to God that they are. I hope that I feel that. Look, look, James. As as a Muslim, uh, I have to say, being being part of the Villa fan base, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great fan base to be about uh, to be around. You know, I honestly, I can honestly say that I have never, I have never felt any sort of racial tension. You know, with within the Villa with the Villa community, me personally. You know, if if you've seen it, if others have seen it, can understand it, and I can I can believe that it perhaps exists. But I, I think I think we are as you know, a lot of a lot of clubs do say. I think we are a classy fan base and it should stay that way. And I think it's also worth just saying that we should actively call out people who perhaps don't stick up for those for those values. Uh and you know, we shouldn't shouldn't allow it really in in, in the rest of the football community. Yeah, well it's been a good chat, mate. Thank you for coming on. Um we'll speak soon about Bla- the Blackburn match coming up. You can find him at Raza Journo, me at Jamo Rushden, all together at seventy five hundred Holt. This is the Holtcast. Appreciate your reviews, appreciate you listening. If you do like the podcast, please leave a review. And uh yeah, any feedback is always welcome. We'll see you soon to preview the Blackburn game and please Please be friendly to your fellow Villa fans and beyond because it's a dark world out there at the moment and uh, we do need rays of sunshine and we do need direct action. So thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Goodbye.